Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. The demise of the original XFL with a bunch of guys making all of this stuff up on the fly. Welcome to episode 33 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the original XFL Football League. On February 3rd, 2001, NBC debuted the highly anticipated, highly publicized premiere of the XFL, the new football league. It was Saturday night primetime, which meant TV viewers across the nation were tuning in to see what all the hype would bring. And it certainly didn't disappoint. As the program began, on the screen of millions of televisions were the emboldened red block letters displayed XFL, followed by words and phrases like passion, no fair catch, controversy, win. Those words blazed the screen, indoctrinating the XFL's mission to the world. And then, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, donning a black velvet open shirt, hair slicked back, black sunglasses, and his signature look, the arched eyebrow, as he shouted an introduction on the Jumbotron of the Pac Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Rock is just like everybody else in America. We're all psyched, pumped, getting it cranked. So to all the coaches in the XFL, to all the players in the XFL, and on behalf of the fans of the XFL, just bring it! And then the XFL founder, Vince McMahon, takes on the field. This is our brand of football! He declares like a gladiator declaring war. This is the XFL! 
The crowd goes insane. There were fireworks. There was football. There were scantily clad cheerleaders and even some WWE wrestlers. But it was after the show when the executives at NBC got together for a post-game review, they couldn't believe their eyes. Because the XFL's debut weekend had just brought the network what was at that time its highest rated Saturday night viewership on record. Welcome to the story of the XFL. Kicking off its season in 2001, fumbled and defeated only three months later. There have been some major fails in athletics over the years, and we were due to cover one on the great fail. Not many, though, have been as notable as the XFL, It was truly a spectacular story of a launch gone sideways. And I admit, I'm not an avid sports fan and I don't watch football regularly. However, I was a pretty big wrestling fan. I grew up to the legends, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, The Undertaker. And then when my little sister grew up, she went through her own wrestling phase. And come to think of it, there was a time when she was pretty obsessed with The Rock. And so Monday Night Raw became part of our weekly rotation. What I found so intriguing about the WWF World Wrestling Federation, which was then rebranded as World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, was that Vince McMahon was both the owner of the company and also a character in the storylines. You often think that those two don't mesh together, talent and management, but that's what made WWE so unique and entertaining. Many years later, I would come to work with Vince's son, Shane McMahon, also a wrestler and personality, and on a trip to Abu Dhabi, I witnessed how a waiter from a five-star restaurant actually pulled out an extra table for Shane when we didn't have reservations and gushed about how the WWE was so meaningful for his family. It was the only sport that his father, his son, and himself, three generations, could connect on week after week for good family entertainment. That was something the McMahons had successfully done for hundreds of millions of people all over the world. The family seemed to have cracked a code on engaging and enraptured a devoted audience. And so, from the moment when Vince McMahon announced that he would be creating a new football league, a more entertaining version called the XFL, it seemed like a no-brainer that this would be an ultimate touchdown. But boy, was he wrong. People oftentimes talk about luck and how it could play a role in the success or failure of a business. You can have the best idea, the best team, adequate funding, the best research and planning. But then there's this other variable. Some refer to it as timing, circumstances, and others call it energy or juju. But a Roman philosopher, Lucius Seneca, had said... Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And in this case, the XFL was an example of a concept that didn't have much preparation nor luck. 
and in the end, flopped on an opportunity even after getting one of the highest ratings on their premiere debut on one of the largest networks in television. My name is Mark Perry, and I'm the editor of XFL News Hub. XFL News Hub is the premier spot for XFL News, which Mark Perry founded, and they cover everything, including what occurred with the original XFL. And in this episode, he'll tell us how it went down from the club seats. McMahon's vision for the XFL was to create a more extreme version of football. It would be grittier, more violent, and with all the markings of the WWE brand, which is to say, drama-filled and action-packed. The players he envisioned would be like the outlaws of football, renegades, and would put on a show for its fans in the stadiums, gladiator style. So really what he did in the beginning was create the Attitude Era is, is how it was defined with The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and McFoley and The Undertaker and all these guys. He wanted to take that Attitude Era and apply it to football. Now, Attitude Era was very racy. They would have women wrestling in bikinis on Monday Night Raw. And it was kind of over the top and a little bit sexist side of things, like that male machismo type audience that they were going for. And it was working with the WWE audience because their ratings were through the roof and they eventually beat W and bought WCW, their main competitor. So Vince was feeling it. And then they figured, hey, let's just apply that business sense. I wouldn't even necessarily call that to football. It's the same audience. It's catered to the same audience. And let's just build a football league. We'll call it XFL. And, and everybody asks, the X stands for nothing. It doesn't stand for Extreme League or any of that kind of stuff. Just X sounds cool. And that's how the origins, and that's why he parlayed that into a football league. When McMahon announced this project in February of 2000 at a press conference in New York City, it's worth mentioning that, number one, McMahon really didn't know much about football. And number two, at that time, he hadn't yet hired a single coach, a single team, or a single player. And number three, he didn't have a network to air it on. So basically it was this huge press conference, but no product. It seemed he hadn't a clue what he was about to get himself into. Luckily, it was a wild enough concept that captured the interest of a good buddy, then president of NBC Sports, Dick Ebersole. After some discussions, both WWE and NBC became 50-50 owners of the new XFL Football League. Well, at the time, the WWE was excitement and they were just crushing it in the ratings with The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think Vince figured he could parlay that, that they could do something with football. And Vince McMahon was always interested in doing something with football. But what's interesting about him, he knows who Tom Brady is and some of these other names. But if you really asked him like what his favorite team was or really getting the specifics, is he didn't know much about football and then starting his own football franchise with multiple teams and then starting it with NBC. He didn't know much but because of his friendship and partnership with Dick Ebersol already intact. That's kind of the origins of the XFL. A year later, it's February 2001 opening day. 
Not only did the XFL pack the entire Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas, but they also managed to get 54 million television viewers that weekend, the most the network had ever seen at one time. This proved that between McMahon and Ebersole, they had all the relationships and star power to build the hype they needed for a strong launch. But they would soon prove that hype wasn't enough to sustain the momentum, and it wasn't long before the wheels came off the bus fast. By week two, the ratings were down pretty significantly. The audience was unimpressed, and for some good reasons, too. First, the gameplay was subpar. Inventing a new sport when you have a year to put everything together becomes a rude awakening. When you realize a lot goes into it, recruiting coaches, drafting players, writing the rule book, and putting together teams, there was a massive scramble to get all of that done and some parts were not exactly well thought out. And it showed. The players just weren't all that good and kind of boring to watch. After all, the best players were already playing for the NFL. Instead of watching the best shows of athleticism in the sport, it was more like watching a bunch of dudes play football at the park. Very rarely were there these intense plays, impossible passes, or dramatic touchdowns. And so those who tuned in to watch really good football were ultimately let down. I think originally they brought in the WWE fans and there was tons of them. And then you had NFL fans kind of come in and the WWE fans were also kind of football fans and the quality of the play was not good at all. I mean, there was lots of interceptions and I mean, these guys were not prepared to take the field. I mean, they didn't really have training camps. And so ultimately, the demise of the original XFL was the quality of play. Second was the lack of having a clear vision. Somewhere along the way during the ideation, McMahon anticipated that the XFL would attract both avid football fans and the WWE audience. So he made sure to script out sideline stories of drama and entertainment, hoping to dole a little something for everyone. But the plan lacked focus on what the program was set out to do. And given that there's rarely an overlap between football and wrestling, it's hard for anyone to really understand what the XFL was supposed to be. Was it a sport or was it an extension of wrestling? It certainly wasn't well thought out and neither were the rules of the game. Before we get into that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you'll want to add this to your list along with the great fail, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, 
Jordan dives in the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Harbinger has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-before-heard stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls off tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to operate better in today's world. And honestly, I'm a fan too. Jordan is a goat when it comes to podcasting, and he's got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there. Point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, and easy to listen to, and you'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversations, a few good laughs, and actionable advice that can directly improve your life. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now back to our show. And it was also thrown together very quickly. I've heard stories of them deciding rules on a plane ride from Stamford, Connecticut, where the WWE's home office is, to like New York or to Los Angeles with a bunch of guys just sitting in there with no football background, coming up with team names, coming up with rules, making all of this stuff up on the fly. Third, it was trashy as heck. So let's talk about the cheerleaders. They were a big part of the XFL framework. And part of the drama they created included encouraging players to hook up with cheerleaders, for the sportscasters to do the same. And those were the side storylines built into the game. And then every now and then, there would be shots with camera angles up the skirts of cheerleaders. But of the most outrageous things the XFL offered was a behind-the-scenes look into the locker rooms. And no, not of the players, but of the cheerleaders. Mind you, this was NBC during prime time, catering to family programming. And what Vince thought was risque turned out to be one of the biggest liabilities. It made the whole event feel really cheesy and sleazy. The production values was cheesy. One of the controversies with the XFL was they were trying to do storylines with the cheerleaders. They were thinking that it was like a WWE segment with a female wrestler. And so they were trying to do like controversial things with the cheerleaders. Fans were just into football. It didn't take fans long to kind of get turned off by because that's not what they're accustomed to. They're interested in good quality football. And the original XFL was not delivering on that. Fourth, players were getting injured left and right. Instead of using the coin toss like they do in the NFL, the XFL went scrappy. They did something called a scramble, which is when players would be forced to charge after the ball and pile on the football to see who can get it first. So it's interesting kind of how the first game went. And I was able to interview actually one of the guys that was on that team. And so the XFLs, one of the ideas, it was that instead of having a kickoff, they would have this kind of scramble where they would put the ball in the middle of the field and like gladiator style, they would run out and get the ball. And then that's who had possession. That's how they started off. Well, that first play, one of the guys who was in that play got injured and was out for the season. That was kind of like it's a setup of what was to come. 
There were stats reported that more than half of these players were injured during the first two weeks because the play was just so rough and really just a reckless way to kick things off. And then there was the issue of money. Although between McMahon and Ebersol, this league was fully funded, somewhere in the vicinity of $100 million. They would then need to make back this amount within the two months of airing. That's how long the season was, giving them a short window to make back the cost through advertising. But as ratings quickly began to tank, advertisers pulled out. According to some articles, Honda pulled out the very first week. And then like a domino effect, so did the other major brand sponsors. It actually got to be so bad that the XFL started offering free advertising slots, which defeated the whole purpose of ads. And out of the $100 million they spent, they only made back a measly $30 million. I mean, the main thing is focus on what it is that you're delivering. So if you're going to do a conference, make sure you have good speakers and quality people listen to. It doesn't matter. The lights, it doesn't matter. I mean, it all comes down to the quality of content. And in an XFL's instance, it was the quality of play. If the quality of play was good from the beginning and the games were good and exciting and the rules were good, I think that they would have had a shot. But that was an afterthought. It was like, oh, we'll just get players. We'll just throw them on the field. It'll be fine. Let's focus on all this outside activity rather than focusing on its core. Now, circling back on the topic of luck, a week before the XFL premiered, there was a blimp advertising the upcoming event. It passed over an NFL game, like taunting it with a big F.U. But something unexpected happened in the air, and after attempting an emergency landing, the pilot and the student pilot were forced to abandon it by literally jumping ship, incurring only minor injuries. The blimp, however, continued on until it crashed into a random seafood restaurant, which to some felt like an omen to what was to come. A second stroke of bad luck would hit the league. By the second week, when things were already looking bleak, the power went out and NBC had dead air for 90 seconds. No one truly knows what caused the outage, but by the time they got power working again, viewers had already lost interest and tuned out. And the game ran over time into Saturday Night Live, which then pissed off SNL fans along with Lorne Michaels, which was not a laughing matter. Combine these two hiccups with a slew of really poor planning, a subpar product, and you got yourself a legitimate flop. By the end of the season, players were told to go home and prep for another season of the XFL, except that day never came. So towards the end of the XFL 1.0 era run, the quality of gameplay started to get better. And the game more exciting. The ratings kind of bottomed out and started to climb up a little bit. And then that was a big thing towards the end, but it was kind of too little too late. And in talking with some former players, they basically had their championship game, their $1 million game, which the ratings were not very good. And they were up, but still not very good. The game was decent. And then after the season was over, they were like, all right, well, the season's over. Thanks for playing. And we'll contact you over the summer. 
for season number two and they never heard from the XFL again and that was it. NBC was not interested in continuing it and without NBC, there was talk of maybe going to another network on cable. I'm not really sure how far that got and then in the end, the bug was pulled and that was it. Before it was even worth considering another season, the TV Guide had already named the XFL the third worst television show ever, coming in after Jerry Springer and My Mother, the Car. Although this was about the failure of the XFL 1.0, it would be nearly 20 years later for the rebirth of the XFL when Vince McMahon sold his WWE shares to raise money for the revival. It seemed that with the lessons learned from the first failure, they learned to do it differently this time, recruiting elite quarterbacks, more training for players, more focus on football, and throwing out the tawdry, dramatic storylines. There were no wrestlers. There were no cheerleaders. And they took on a completely different approach, one that was thoughtful, strategic, focus, and quality-based. First thing they started working on was the rule book. And they spent a whole year working on the rule book. They worked with Spring League, which is kind of like a a small camps that players can be a part of to get some game tape and, and you would you know, have scouts out there. They partnered with them and they spent months and months and months perfecting the rules because they knew that from in the initial version, that's one of the things that went wrong. In 2020, the league played for five weeks, enjoying a successful resurrection before getting hit with the coronavirus pandemic, which led to another cancellation. Yet another stroke of bad luck. When COVID hit, then the league was shut down and they said, hey, we'll, we'll see you next year. I think part of the problem for Vince McMahon was that he had money invested in the XFL, but the WWE, a big chunk of their revenue comes from fans in the stands. So I think he panicked and sort of just kind of jettisoned the league we would be talking XFL 2.0 era right now if it wasn't for COVID. There's no doubt about that. I've talked to people within the league. I've talked to people in the media covering it. They said this was a hit. This was great. It totally worked. And they would have been off to the races. The ratings were good. Everything that they expected. Proving once more that timing is everything. And as of this recording, May 2021, the XFL is at its third iteration, just purchased by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who is getting ready to launch it once more in 2022. If you recall, there's a sense of nostalgia as The Rock was headlining the original XFL over 20 years ago. Perhaps as the saying goes, third time's the charm, or... Maybe three strikes and you're out. Either way, we will find out soon enough. Special thanks to Mark Perry at XFL News Hubs for providing his commentary for this episode. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind the scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. 
While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatveil.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media, meaningful connections.